Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Hello and welcome to episode 273 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. And it's a story when the consequences of an action are much worse than intended. But when you're involved in violence, it's not easy to keep things under control. A huge thank you to everyone in my Patreon community, especially the new members of this club. That's Susan Adams and Heidi Bell Langford. Welcome on board and thank you for your support. This episode is brought to you by All Plants Chef-Made Plant-Based Meals. I am super excited to be talking about All Plants, as I'm a real fan, and I've shared with friends and family who also love the products. Like me, they can't wait for that moment when the box arrives. As you may know, I've been vegan for a few years now, but whatever the food that you like to eat, there is nothing better than receiving delicious, chef-made, healthy meals direct to your door. And All Plants makes it so easy. Their food can be heated in just six minutes, so you've always got the time. And if you ever think that your choices are limited by plant-based eating, and sure that might be right at your local petrol station, but not at All Plants. There's over 50 meals and growing, not to mention breakfast, desserts, sides and smoothies. So go on, give it a go. Try it now and get £10 off your first two orders, saving £20, with the code TRUECRIME20 at allplants.com. Order now, you'll love it. That's allplants.com using the code TRUECRIME20. I'm delighted this episode is sponsored by Wild, the new sustainable natural deodorant delivered straight to your door. Have you tried Wild deodorant yet? If not, what are you waiting for? It's fantastic. I've tried many deodorants over the years and I've never been fully happy. They've always been a bit meh, but not anymore. Wild is a natural deodorant that actually works, even after a full day of exercise. It's great, but that isn't all. It's cruelty-free, it's vegan, it's eco-friendly, with none of those harsh ingredients you find in some antiperspirants. And although the major supermarkets stock wilds, of course they do, with your busy lifestyle, you can save time and have it delivered straight to your door. That's right, you can order refills, which come through your letterbox whenever you need them, either as a one-off or on a flexible subscription model. So what are you waiting for? There's a large range of scents, including my current favourite, mint and eucalyptus. So get started now. Go wild today and get yourself this natural, refillable deodorant that genuinely works. You can order by going to wearewild.com and you'll get 20% off your first order when you use the code CRIME20 at checkout. That's wearewild.com and code CRIME20 at checkout for 20% off. Enjoy. Okay, let's set some context for today's story with our guest of the month in year game. 
Top of the UK music charts was Jess Glynn with Don't Be So Hard On Yourself. Wise words, but of course, none of us ever take this advice. In the US, it was I Can't Feel My Face by The Weeknd. And in the Australian album charts, the top spot was Dr. Dre with Compton. In the news this month, Robert Downey Jr. was named the world's highest paid actor, earning $80 million. How utterly, utterly ridiculous. I never tire of watching Ricky Gervais puncturing some of these ridiculous egos at the Golden Globes Awards, don't you? But much more significant than people reading lines, Muppets Miss Piggy and Kermit the Frog announced the end to their relationship on Twitter. A terrorist attack on a train between Amsterdam and Paris was thwarted by four brave passengers who overpowered the gunman. This month saw Scylla Black dying at 72 and a vintage Hawker Hunter plane crashing onto the A27 dual carriageway road during the Shoreham Air Show and killing all 11 people. Remember that? Did you guess the month and year? It was August 2015. Today's story is from High Wycombe, a town around 30 miles northwest of London, and famous people from here include Disraeli, rugby player Matt Dawson, and the sixth and arguably the best Doctor Who, Colin Baker, of course. All Saints Church is in the centre of High Wycombe, just off the High Street. It's an amazing building in the centre of the town. But at 8.50pm on the night of Saturday the 22nd of August, Something had happened in the graveyard and the emergency services raced to the scene after being told that a man in his 20s had been stabbed. Unfortunately, there had been similar incidents recently. Earlier that month, it had all kicked off in the early hours of Sunday morning just nearby and a man was headbutted and repeatedly stamped on after trying to help a woman who'd been dragged to the ground by her hair during a shocking attack. And just a month before nearby, there'd been a nasty stabbing. Was this incident maybe connected? When the paramedics arrived at the scene, they could see that the victim was in a bad way, having been stabbed a number of times. Despite giving CPR, his injuries were so bad that he could not be saved and he died at the scene in the centre of busy High Wycombe on a Saturday evening, his death witnessed by a number of passing people. Police officers immediately tried to establish calm at the chaotic and emotional scene, putting a cordon where the man had been found and trying to establish who around them had that key first-hand information which could be so vital to potentially making any early breakthrough. Two passers-by, Tom Rose and his girlfriend Emma Schofield, were keen to speak to officers. Emma told them how she'd been walking down the street in her flip-flops to watch the rugby at a town centre pub. England were about to kick off against France in a warm-up game for the forthcoming World Cup when she saw a figure ahead of her fall to the floor. She said, At first Tom and I heard shouting as we walked down the street. I had an idea where it was coming from, but I didn't know what it was about. Then I saw a male falling on the pavement. A second man came into my line of vision within a matter of seconds. He'd been behind the first man. I remember the man on the floor turning back to face the man coming towards him and pulling his hands up to defend himself. 
Tom then ran forward to try to stop this incident developing. I started calling Tom back. The knifeman stopped stabbing the man on the floor and stepped towards Tom, still brandishing the knife. Tom took a couple of steps back from the man and said some words to him which I can't recall. The man stopped walking towards him and then ran off back in the direction he came from into the graveyard. It was very frightening and it was a really stressful event. Emma ran to get paper towels from a nearby pub to stop the bleeding, but they could see that this man was beginning to lose consciousness. Emma told how before paramedics arrived, Tom had given him mouth to mouth and she had tried CPR but to no avail. And other witnesses at the scene, as well as Emma and Tom, told of the dead man's final rasping breath before he died in front of them. Officers soon discovered that the man who'd been murdered was 26-year-old Lee Gillespie, a father of two. He was originally from Kirkcaldy in Fife, but had moved to High Wycombe with his dad a few years ago, and he was local, he lived in the town. His family told how Lee was a gentle, caring and loving man who wouldn't judge anyone. He'd a smile which lit up your heart. There wasn't a day when you wouldn't see a smile on his face, Not only was he a son, brother, nephew and grandson, they said that he was our best friend too. So what had brought Lee Gillespie to a quiet graveyard on that Saturday night? And who was the knifeman who had killed him? Was it a random attack by a stranger? As a true crime fan, you will know that thankfully, though that happens, it's unlikely. It was probably someone who knew him. But who was it? And what could have been the motive for the attack? As we hear so often on this podcast, it appeared that the real reason for what happened that evening was jealousy. Pure jealousy. So let's take a step back to events that happened earlier that day. 26-year-old Lee Gillespie had been going out with an older woman, 38-year-old Jodie Willis. It seemed that Lee and Willis had broken up a couple of months ago after being in a relationship for a number of years. Lee had moved on to a relationship with a new girlfriend, also called Lee, Lee Sinclair. It had only been ongoing a matter of weeks, but it was clearly a relationship that Jodie Willis didn't like one bit. Let me explain more about what had been happening in this group, this friendship group, I guess. Well, anything but a friendship group. With the various partners moving around, Let me try to explain without making it sound like a a coupling episode in Love Island. Are you ready? Okay, so before getting with Lee Gillespie, Lee Sinclair had been in a relationship with a man called Nick Baker. And Nick Baker was now in a relationship with Jodie Willis and lived with her. So there had effectively been a swapping of partners. And the final piece in the jigsaw is another man who was living with Jodie and Nick called Lee Burns, another Lee, and it seems that he hadn't been sleeping with anyone else involved in today's story, just to be clear. But he did have a clear loyalty to Jodie Willis, which is, it seems, how he managed to get himself involved. Earlier on the day he died, Lee Gillespie's current girlfriend, Lee Sinclair, had become embroiled in an argument outside McDonald's in High Wickham when she was busking. She was a frequent busker with Jodie Willis and Lee Burns. Willis showed how much she still cared for Lee Gillespie 
in a number of comments she made to Lee's current girlfriend, such as declaring, he'll never love you like he loved me. It went on from this and Willis became increasingly aggressive and agitated, ending the conversation by saying, do you know who you're fucking with? This mood of agitation continued after this confrontation, as Willis headed to the churchyard at All Saints Church, where she started drinking and arguing again, this time with two homeless people. She was speaking mainly about Lee Gillespie, claiming that she was pregnant with his child. She just told the father of her child, Martin Stanislaus, who Willis had been in a relationship with for a number of years, although they'd now split, Willis and Stanislaus were still close. And in this heated exchange in the graveyard, Willis was telling how Stanislaus wasn't at all happy that his ex was apparently pregnant with Lee Gillespie's child. And Lee Gillespie appeared at the churchyard at about midday and began arguing with Willis. His current girlfriend, Lee Sinclair, when she finished busking, she came to the churchyard too, and it all got very heated. Jodie Willis took out her phone and began to film Lee Sinclair, threatening to put the footage on Facebook with a reference to her being Lee's slut and other abusive terms. Willis's current boyfriend Baker and their housemate, Burns, were there too encouraging Willis, really egging her on in the confrontation. Lee Sinclair had had enough of this and she tried to hit Willis but a mutual friend intervened to stop her and the situation diffused. It was now that Willis started to wind up Stanislaus, the father of her child, by telling him that she was now pregnant with Lee Gillespie's baby. She also told him that Lee had hurt her and she slashed her own face to say this was Lee, Lee had done this to her. Stanislaus, as I said, was close with Jodie Willis still, and he wasn't at all impressed with this news. And he and Willis began a series of calls and text messages during that afternoon, which ended with the pair agreeing to meet. And they met that afternoon, but before he left his home, Stanislaus told his mum that Willis was screaming down the phone that she was going to kill herself, and so he had to go and see her. And Willis was seemingly in quite a state, even phoning Stanislaus's sister-in-law and being so angry on the phone that she was screaming incoherently down the phone at her. When Martin Stanislaus left to meet Jodie Willis, he was carrying a knife in a sheath, which was attached to two pieces of string, so he wore it almost like a rucksack under his clothes. He attempted to buy gloves en route in Sainsbury's, but he couldn't find any, and then headed off to meet Jodie Willis. Builder Stanislaus would later tell detectives that Lee Gillespie dealt drugs in the graveyard and he'd gone to see him that night to tell him to stay away from his ex-girlfriend Jodie Willis. Although he said he hoped to have just a chat, he also told how he was prepared for the meeting to descend into violence and he was happy to fight if needed. Stanislaus made his way to High Wycombe where he met with Willis and Burns and they went to Lee Gillespie's flat first to look for him. When there was no response at the flat, they broke in. And even Stanislaus was shocked by the state of the place, commenting that it looked like a crack den. But if it was bad when they arrived, it looked even worse after they'd left, 
as they had totally ransacked the joint, wrecking furniture and smashing the TV. Byrne suspected that Lee Gillespie would be at the churchyard in High Wycombe, and so the three made their way there, arriving just before a quarter to nine. According to Stanislaus, when he arrived at the graveyard with Burns and Willis, there were a group of five or so people, including Lee Gillespie, but once they clocked Willis, Gillespie started shouting at her and Willis responded. Tensions were running high. Then in his words, he came towards her. He would something in his hand. He seemed to take it out of the case I could see it shining silver. I moved around him so I was in front of Jody. I went to punch him. I was struck in the hand with the knife. We wrestled. I grabbed the hilt of the knife. I pulled the knife away and hit him to the floor. The people he was with were getting closer. I held the knife up to them and I said, stay back. It was at this stage that he claimed that Lee ran towards Willis with a needle in his hand, a needle that had probably been used for injecting drugs. Thinking that he was in danger of being stabbed with this needle, he used a knife to stab Lee Gillespie at least twice, but he said maybe more. With threats being shouted at them from the group of which Lee Gillespie had been a part, Stanislaus said he picked up the case where the knife had been held and put it in his shorts, and with Willis and Burns, Stanislaus ran for it. This account differs considerably from other witnesses at the scene. He told detectives of a much more disturbing picture. They told how Lee Gillespie was sitting on a bench with others when the group approached. Seeing them and sensing trouble, Lee Gillespie ran off, but he was chased by the others, and he might have escaped but he tripped over a low wall that ran around the lawned area and he fell over. As he sought to turn himself over on the ground, he was set upon by Stanislaus and repeatedly stabbed in the chest, head and upper limbs. Willis and Burns watched on the grass from just a few metres from where Lee Gillespie had fallen. Stanislaus momentarily turned away from Lee on the ground and when Lee tried to say something, Stanislaus returned and delivered a further two stabs in the area of the upper chest with his knife, and then Lee lay motionless on the floor. Willis Burns and Stanislaus ran to the train station and took a train back to Willis's house. I'm really sorry, and I don't want to be disrespectful here, but getting a train home from Commuterbelt High Wickham Station after committing such a horrendous crime feels odd but it suggests that maybe Stanislaus didn't expect the violence to escalate as much as it did. Back at the house that Willis shared with Baker, Stanislaus removed his clothing and buried it in the garden, alongside the knife used to kill Lee. Jodie Willis got rid of the distinctive green dress she'd been wearing in nearby undergrowth. It wasn't a difficult case for the police to solve, as a number of people at the scene who had been with Lee Gillespie knew Jodie Willis and directed officers to her. After the murder, Stanislaus went to bed and to sleep, but not for long. As the door was banged down at 3am by police, he found a different knife under his pillow. Once again, Stanislaus claimed this was for self-defence, in case there was any retribution. The bloodied clothing and the murder weapon were soon found in the garden, and detectives were able to piece together 
what had happened. They also found evidence that the trio had ransacked Lee Gillespie's house, with Willis's fingerprints found on one of the drawers, while Stanislaus's blood and DNA were found after he picked up a significant injury while slashing the sofa. At the trial at Reading Crown Court, the three defendants, Willis, Stanislaus and Burns, pleaded not guilty to murder. The defence QC summarised the case against the three succinctly, telling the jury of four men and eight women. Inflamed by the various allegations made by Jodie Willis about how her ex-boyfriend had treated her, Martin Stanislaus travelled to High Wycombe that evening, and the Crown says he used a knife to inflict fatal violence on Lee Gillespie, a man he apparently didn't even know. While it was Stanislaus who stabbed Lee Gillespie, Jodie Willis and Lee Burns are indicted as secondary partners to that murder. In other words, they share responsibility for the attack. It was an attack that Jodie Willis had commissioned in the first place by recruiting Stanislaus to come to Wickham. It was Burns who led the way to the churchyard where Stanislaus launched his attack in a place where Willis and Burns had seen Mr Gillespie earlier that day. When the jury returned with their verdicts, Stanislaus and Willis were found guilty of murder. Burns was cleared of this charge, but found guilty of manslaughter. Stanislaus showed no emotion as he was sentenced to 26 years in prison. The judge told him, You were then led to the victim, who sat on a bench innocently. You pursued him and unfortunately fell over. As he lay there defenceless, you brutally and frenziedly stabbed him some 14 times on his face, body, head and upper body. I believe at that time you fully intended to kill him. In direct contrast to Stanislaus, Willis looked devastated and she sat silently with her head in her hands. Her eyes were red from crying and as the judge was talking to her she was wiping away the tears as she looked down when told by the judge she would serve a minimum of 20 years in prison. Her QC had earlier said that the prosecution themselves admitted that she might have experienced immediate remorse, albeit too late. Her intention was not to kill, but to cause grievous bodily harm. It was also said that she shouted, Stop, stop, to Stanislaus, but by then it was of no use. The judge said, You were angered and upset because the disease had started a new relationship, and that day had the confrontation you had with him and his new partner, in which you uttered threats. No doubt heightened by alcohol, you felt hurt and angered. You made cuts to your face with a razor blade, something you inflicted on yourself deliberately to wind up Mr Stanislaus as you let him believe that Mr Gillespie had hurt you. When you went to Mr Gillespie's house, you ransacked his room in a spiteful manner, indicating just how strong your feelings were. You led him, knowing it would lead to serious harm for Mr Gillespie, to where he was with the intention of causing grievous bodily harm. You were supporting Mr Stanislaus in your presence. It may be that you quickly realised the horror and sincerely regretted it. I accept you expressed genuine remorse, and whilst convicted of murder, you were very much a secondary part in it. Lee Burns was sentenced to 10 years in prison for manslaughter. His QC said, As far as he is concerned, he had no intention to kill or cause serious violence to Mr Gillespie, 
That is the obvious conclusion from the not guilty verdict of murder from the jury. He knew violence characterised as a slap might take place, but he did not intend death or serious injury should result. During the testimony, the court heard a touching impact statement by Lee's dad, James. He said, My world is torn into pieces. It was over seven months ago, but it doesn't get easier any day. I'll give anything to say goodbye, say I love you and ruffle his hair. He was a cheeky boy, yes, but did he deserve to die? No. He leaves behind two young sons. How am I supposed to tell them what has happened to their daddy? It gives me comfort to hear he was not alone in his last moments. It makes me proud to hear how his friends cared for him at that time. Their upset has been apparent. Saturdays are the hardest day of the week for me now. Unlike most people, I look forward to Mondays to come around. He concluded, There has been so much heartache from one mad decision to kill Lee. His mum, brother, sister, grandma and half-siblings as well as the defendant's family, their lives have been torn apart too. So what do you make of what we've heard today? As so often it seems, another terrible act driven by jealousy. We heard how Jodie Willis felt some remorse as the attack began, but by then it was too late. For their terrible actions, both she and Stanislaus will miss their child growing up. All the special birthdays, and other significant life happenings, all missed just like that. And how will that child react to them in the future? Will they want to be a part of their lives, or just be so sickened and repulsed that they want nothing to do with them? I wonder. As I seem to say so often on this podcast, it was an utterly pointless attack. What were they trying to achieve? It just means that Lee Gillespie's two children are left without their dad after his life was taken at just 26, that life of promise, so much he could have achieved, so much he could have done. And for what? Going out of a different girl. It really is the sort of behaviour you'd expect to see on the school playground, except of course with a knife and Stanislaus's capacity for violence with such more serious consequences. And all this utter horror taking place on a normal Saturday night, just feet from where in a normal town people were out for drinks, dinner and to watch the rugby. Out to have fun. And yet they stumbled upon the most terrible scene that will be imprinted in their minds forever. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group, It's Never Dull. And why not join our community on Patreon, where you can access bonus episodes and other exclusive content and become a better person. Just head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. I'll see you there. Okay, so that's all for me today. So until we speak again on Tuesday, take it easy and most of all, stay classy. Cheerio for now.